become more confident at doing the things that you are uncomfortable with consistently. Right. I think that's the biggest lesson lesson I learned. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Ben. Welcome to the show. Hey, Max. How are you doing today? Good. How about you? I'm excellent. I've been working all day and now I'm here. So Really appreciate you taking the time out of uh, a busy Friday, most likely, to come talk to me on my podcast about your business. Before we dive in, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background before you started your business? Yeah. Um, before I started my business, uh, I joined the Army, Nas- the Michigan Army National Guard when I was 17 years old. So it's 10 years now that I'm in. And I was an Intel analyst. And at some point, I realized I really loved fitness. So I accidentally became a personal trainer when I just walked into the gym one day and talked to one of the coaches. So since then, I basically, you know, I was running personal training at my gym. And I eventually fell into a position where I was managing other trainers and helping grow like a boxing studio and a fitness club. And then eventually, I was like, hey, I want to go off and start my own thing. And that's where I am now with my own online fitness business. Usually the road is like you go learn at someone else's business and then you end up starting your own business in the same industry. Before we dive into that, like how did you get into like the fitness part? Like what made you like interested in fitness and turning into a career? Yeah. So I've always been really into fitness since I was 13 years old. So like the first gym I ever went to was a YMCA and it was just, I was a freshman in high school. And there was a bunch of seniors um, and one of my friends, older brother, was one of those seniors. And he was just like, hey, come to the gym with us. And I just moved to Michigan at the time and I had no friends. So those were basically my first friends in Michigan. And that's when I started to get really into fitness. Um, Those friends eventually ended up falling off, but it started to become like a passion for me. So since I was 13 years old, I basically just kept training and trying new stuff. I did everything from like calisthenics, uh, boxing, swimming, CrossFit, tried dabbling in bodybuilding, didn't find it that much fun. And then recently I fell in love with powerlifting just because it's fun to lift heavy weights. So in terms of like the personal training aspect of it, do you need a license or can you just get right into it? So the way I fell into it was I was at LA Fitness at the time and I was just talking to one of the coaches and he was like, you should consider becoming a coach. And I was like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. So I went and got certified through ISSA for both my certified personal trainer certification as well as my nutrition certification. So those are the two certifications I have. And how long did that take you to do? The ISSA, it probably took me, because I was working full-time in the Army at the same time and going to school full-time for a degree in political science. So it, the, the ISSA, it probably should have taken me only like two months, but it took me like six months just because I was busy juggling everything else in my life. As you got into personal training, what were some of the uh, common obstacles that you had to work with with your clients? So for example, uh, I think one of them could be accountability. As the saying goes, only a small portion of your fitness is through actually working out. A lot of it is dieting. So do you see a lot of people not follow the diet that you recommend? Or what are some of the common challenges that you face there? So yeah, um, when I first started as a personal trainer, I was obviously an in-person personal trainer and I was getting paid by the hour obviously, right? What the, the biggest obstacle I faced was not the, it was not the like actual workouts. Like the workouts are easy. Like I can write you something. You just got to show up. 
The, the second biggest thing is um, definitely the nutrition aspect. So that was the biggest problem I faced when I first became a personal trainer was I could con- I can control what a client does in person, right? Like I can make them do workouts. I can make them push themselves. But the moment they left the gym, they pretty much did whatever they wanted, right? And there was no way of tracking them. And that's that was like the biggest obstacle I faced because all my clients were getting stronger, but they weren't losing weight. So this all changed when I finally decided to go online. And ironically enough, I found more success as an online coach than I did as an in-person coach because now the biggest thing I focus on is that nutrition aspect, seeing what they eat every day, making small adjustments if they need it, and making sure they're on track. You know, everyone can show up to the gym. Like, it's what you do in the kitchen that matters the most. And then after the nutrition, it's definitely accountability because it doesn't matter how great your workout plan is. It doesn't matter if I like stock their fridge. It's making sure that they are accountable, that they are accountable for themselves to actually take action. So that's where I really focus on is, you know, every single day I wake up in the morning and for 15 to 45 minutes, I'll check in with every single one of my clients. Um, oftentimes the new, the older clients, I just have to give like, Hey, great job. Thumbs up. Keep it going. And like newer clients, I have to really focus on the, Hey, like I noticed you didn't hit your protein intake today, or you went way over your calories. Let's see a way where I don't have to keep, where I don't have to restrict a food group for you while still making sure that you are hitting your calories and protein. And of course, same thing for fitness. People have days where they wake up and it's just really rough for them. Um, they just don't want to show up. So I just make sure that they do. Before you continue, like, how did you get the clients? Like, did you have to sell or did the gym end up just giving you the clients because they have salespeople assigned to you for their personal training? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's three parts of this, right? So there's first LA Fitness where they have their sales team take care of it, right? So I would just get assigned clients. I would show up, you know, train them and I'd be done. And then I became like a more, I became an independent coach at Powerhouse Gym McComb at some point. And that was where I had to draw in my own clients, talk to people, find clients. And then now online, you know, I have to do everything to find my own clients, right? So so in terms of like the in-person training, uh, you did sales later on. When did you realize that in terms of the turning point where you wanted to venture out on your own to do the same thing? Yeah, um, I mentioned this before, but... I was managing a boxing club and a, a, a boxing club, a gym, a yoga studio, and a cleaning company all at the same time, right? And I helped them see a lot of success and I helped them grow their business, create programs, all this stuff. And at some, you know, at some point I wanted more from them and they based, they just outrightly refused. So that was when I was like, hey, like I can't rely on these people if I want to actually build my wealth and like help a lot of people. That's when I decided, hey, I'm just going to go do this thing by myself. And that's where we are at now. How did you do it? Like, what I'm trying to say is, did you start off as a side hustle to test it out, proof of concept, and then you made the jump, or you just quit and just made the jump right then and there? I pretty much did both, right? So I wasn't, I wasn't making that much money doing all this consulting and managing and all that in the first place. It was very much an opportunity for me to just learn. So basically, I just made the jump. And at some point, I was just like, hey, I have no clients, I have nothing, but I have, I, I was fortunate enough to have put a lot of money into like investments while I was doing army stuff that I could basically just quit my job entirely and just focus on the personal training like completely and build my clientele and build the amount of money I was making so I can slowly stop 
pulling from my investments. So that's how I was able to like just jump into it. And how hard was it to get your first client? I'd say my first couple clients were relatively easy only because those clients I already had in person and I just transitioned them. After those initial clients, it was extremely difficult, right? Like learning how to um, start conversations, convert them into a call, and then from there convert, you know, obviously convert them into a uh, paying clients. It was extremely difficult. It, it, was, it was extremely difficult. And it was a very long and arduous process, to say the least. I had to do a lot of studying, learning, and putting myself out there to finally see some success. So to continue on that conversation, uh, you started your business uh, this past January. So you're getting close to your one year anniversary of running your own business. And one of the main reasons I brought you on is as a first year business owner, you probably experienced a lot of different challenges that you wouldn't necessarily have uh, when you were working inside a gym. So what are some of the main obstacles that you faced as a first year business owner? Um, so some of the, so like, I guess chronologically, like number one was just getting leads. That's probably like the most difficult thing like that you can do. Um, especially as like an online business. So when I was an in-person, when I was in person, I used to run ads for like a six week boxing challenge or a six week, this, this, and that. And because it was a, a specific location and niche I could target, I was able to get a lot of clients in and build that business. The moment I went online, I thought it would be as easy and it was not, right? I would run ads and I would just get a lot of unqualified, I would get a lot of unqualified clients and just not a lot, or sorry, unqualified leads and not a lot of leads in the first place. So getting clients, you know, so I started like doing a lot of studying and research and seeing what other people did and trying to piece it all together. So like the most difficult thing was actually going through and like trying to get those organic conversations. Um, with people and, and then, you know, doing the conversions from sales call to paid client. Um, but definitely collecting leads was probably one of the most difficult things. It still is one of the most difficult things because it's like something you have to do every single day. After that is just the realization of how little support you get. That was like something I've realized really quickly in my business was the people you thought would support you the most, they were your worst supporters, to say the least, right? And that sucked a lot because you know, my clients, my random strangers that I met on Facebook, that I met on Instagram, um, are here, like, you know, supporting me, um, obviously paying me to continue, like, growing this business, and then, like, sending me referrals and leads, right? Meanwhile, as you go up the scale from, like, friends to family, it just gets less and less till you're basically at nothing. Um, and that was probably one of the most difficult, like, things that I faced when growing my business was realizing that, like, my family and friends are my like least likely. Those those are a couple of common uh, ones that I've uh, faced myself in terms of like getting leads and then realizing that the people that have been with you uh, for a while are not really supportive as you thought. Uh, but in terms of the lead portion, every person who has an initial idea and starts up their business, they tend to have a difficult they tend to have difficulty in getting those leads because they don't have that brand reputation, brand equity yet. People don't really know them, so they're a bit more wary. So how did you, so what were some of the uh, tactics in terms of generating leads that were for you, whether it's organic content or paid ads? How did you test and find out what were for you to generate that uh, recurring uh, lead quality? So it started off as two parts. 
me posting content like almost daily. And when I say content, I mean like basically giving away free information, like the verbatim things I would say to my clients, right? Like how much protein to eat, calories, how you should set up your workout, how to overcome like lack of motivation, things like that. So I'd post stuff that would basically establish me as the subject matter expert, right? I just did it continuously. Like even on days where, I mean, there, there are still days where I get maybe like eight to 10 likes a video, maybe a hundred to 200 views, right? But at the end of the day, that's that was one of the things I was focusing on to just establish myself as a subject matter expert. And then two, what I would do, um, and I don't do this as much anymore because we're kind of steadily getting like more people into our Facebook group is I would go onto random face I would go into random Facebook pages along the lines of my niche. So for example, I would join like a high protein Facebook group. And I would whenever I see someone in the comments or in the yeah, whenever I see someone make a post like, hey, I'm new here. I don't know how much protein to get, I would just I created a PDF called the Busy Buffet PDF, which basically outlines exactly how much pro how to like how to get, you know, X amount of protein a day. And I would just offer them like, hey, I have this free PDF. Would you be interested in um, getting a free copy? So they would comment, yes. And then next thing you know, everybody comments, right? So I would, I would ask, you know, random name. I would ask Suzanne if she'd be interested. And then next thing you know, Bob, Mike, Stacy, Mary, everyone is now like, hey, I want a free copy. I want a free copy. And I just go through systematically. It's just like, hey, I just messaged you. I just sent you a DM. I would like kind of personalize it a bit. I would hop on the DM and I would just basically be like, hey, I saw you wanted this free copy. Do you still want it? They'd say yes. I'd say awesome. Give them the copy. And then I would, I would invite them into my private Facebook, right? And now now that they're in my private Facebook group, they're out. that's where I could like start lead nurturing them. So usually what ends up happening is I start the conversation through my PDF. I invite them into my group and I'll try and start a conversation along the lines and they won't be interested. But as they're in my group and I, I nurture them more, give them more free value, give them more free content, and you know they, they engage with my stuff, then I'll reach out to them again and slowly just warm them up and invite them into a call. So that's how like I started doing it. And that's basically still the same exact process I use today. So you found like as you use this Facebook group strategy, like over time, you started to build a consistent lead funnel and then you start getting those clients uh, compounded, right? The other thing you mentioned was bad lead quality. Uh, can you tell me more about that? What, were you trying other tactics before the Facebook group and you were just getting like, a lot of like bad leads or how, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, specifically through Facebook advertising, right? Because you can throw like a six-week challenge out, for example, on Facebook advertising. And what ends up happening is everyone is interested until it's actually time to like talk, right? So what, what end up happening is a couple of things. One is I would get bad information from them because a lot of people will like change their phone numbers or emails and they won't update it until like forever. I would get all these leads and next thing you know, when I try to reach out to them or email them, I would basically get bumped back or I wouldn't reach out, I wouldn't get them at all. So that's probably like 50% to 60% to of the leads I get, right? The other 60 to like 95% of people, basically, you know, price is always like going to be like the first thing that comes up to, for them, right? Like they're not interested. Like I, I, I uh, talked to this one lead the other day, picked up the phone with her immediately. I was like, hey, so I was like, hey, this is Ben, you know, whatever your name is. I saw you were interested in the 12 week challenge. I just wanted to get to know like, what's the reason that you want to start your challenge today, right? 
And instead of answering my question, they would immediately go to like, what's the price, right? Um, and of course, like any salesperson, you try to deflect in, in a sense, like, hey, like, you know, I have a price point for every kind of person. I have to get to know you more. Um, but then it would just be like, I just want to know the price, right? And then from there, it's like, there's no way to like learn more about how you can help them and actually like tailor a product for them. So that would be, end up being like the majority of the leads I would get. And now I finally have like the 5% that are actually interested in talking working through the entire process and then getting to like the sales objection. Yeah. yeah I, I, I've done that. I get that too. Right. Where like you try to like give value first and they don't want to hear it. They just want to hear what the price is. Like those are hard to sell as not necessarily on you because like they just really care about the price. They just want to find the lowest price for the highest value, which is, you know, it's impossible. Right. And you're never going to satisfy them if you do end up getting with them because then you're just trying to milk your services as much as possible for that small price that they're willing to pay. And of course, like the way I deal with those types of people is, you know, I'm just honest with them and then I invite them like, hey, like I can't work with you for this amount, but I still want to help you out. So I will still invite them to my group and then just keep nurturing them, right? Just focus on the, just focusing on providing a lot of free stuff and value to everyone, because even if they don't end up paying you, at least you're still fulfilling your purpose of helping someone out. So you say your uh, online business deals with nutrition, fitness, and mindset. Did you do all three at once in your launch, or did you start off with a like, fitness first, then you moved, expanded to nutrition, then you expanded mindset, or did you do all three? And how did you come about deciding to do all three at once, if that is the case? Yeah, I mean, fitness and nutrition are always paired together, like inherently. So when you're starting with working with an online like physical fitness coach, like fitness and nutrition is like what you're going to get. And then that's when I met my partner, Lily. So she is a licensed therapist and she just has a way of working with people to help them overcome mental barriers um, that's keeping them from reaching their goals. And to me, it's really important to that not, you know, it's, do you mind if I swear at all? No, go ahead. Go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> right. Something that we, something I like to say in the army is that like, it doesn't matter if it's covered in gold, it's still people covered in gold, right? So that's what I feel like fitness and like nutrition is, is it's like, it's helping you overcome your, your physical insecurities. And of course, there's a mental aspect to it as well of um, helping you get more confident and all this kind of stuff. But that's only a piece of the entire pie. So I believe that mindset, you know, mental health is also really important to master in order to holistically and well, in a well-rounded way, be healthy. So that's when I worked with Lily and decided, hey, let's combine our services together and provide something that you can't, you're not going to find anywhere else, right? Because everyone says they're, every coach is going to say they're an expert in mindset, but no one went to seven years of school to actually become an expert, right? So that's where we decided to put mindset into it. And it's been extremely successful. Ironically, sometimes I think my clients like Lily more than they like me. Speaking of Lily, uh, when you started your business, did you want to go like the solo route for a while before you decided to grab a partner or did the partnership happen pretty quickly? And what made you decide that going the partnership route was better? I get like when you have someone else, you can expand your services because they have a specific niche that they serve and you have your own niche and strength. Uh, so what made you decide that you want to expand quickly to develop more service offerings instead of going like solo for a little while longer? Yeah, I mean, the intent was always to do it together, but Lily was um, working like a full-time job as a therapist, and she was, she was working two jobs. Right, she was she was, she was working full-time as a therapist, and she was like um, 
in like in processing for like mental health facility at the same exact time. So what ended up happening was like, hey, she was so busy that she couldn't even focus on our client. So I was basically like, hey, like I still want you to be a part of this and all that stuff. So let's figure out a way or at least make enough money in our business so that you can quit one of your jobs. You know, so initially we were supposed to do it like from the get go together, but it was probably like four months in that we finally combine our services at the same time. Guys, so you always had the intent of partnering with Lily to incorporate uh, mindset work as well as nutrition and fitness. Correct. One of the other big challenges um, as for people who are listening that want to become uh, business owners is finding a target demographic or a niche. Like, did you have a trouble finding a niche? Like, who do you serve in terms of like, what is your service best served in terms of who the audience that you're willing to help out? Like, how did you find out which is the right uh, niche for you? I mean, so that one is still difficult because ironically, I'm serving a niche that I didn't want to serve in the first place, right? So initially when I came into it, I was like, hey, I want to help, you know, busy male professionals, right? Because I'm one and I can relate to them and understand them, right? I can, you know, I, I can talk to you and you understand sales, you understand grind, you understand hard work. You might just not have the, the knowledge or the accountability to exercise, for example, right? But what ended up happening was I started capturing the busy mom market, right? So like the busy moms, with, you know, two, three kids, they're, they're working at the same time, their husband's working, all this kind of stuff. So what ended up happening was like, and this is a little bit, a little bit of a fault of my own was like my content when I first started wasn't well, like niche down enough to target these types of people. Um, so it was very broad. And what ended up happening was I captured a market that I didn't intend to. And now I kind of just, I kind of just stick with it at this point. I'm just helping busy moms. So um, the niche part is always like a difficult topic for me to talk about because at the end of the day, like if you're providing a lot of free information, a lot of people, you know, especially like in fitness and nutrition, a lot of people will end up wanting to work with you as long as you are trustworthy and get them the results that they want. And yeah, like for me, like what ends up happening with your niche is like the way you present yourself is also how people are going to fall into your niche, right? So if you look at like my stature, right? Like I am a five foot six strong Asian guy, right? So what ended up happening was when I would try to get busy male professionals, they were looking for like six foot tall Jack, like basically who they want to be. Five foot six, you know, like super friendly looking was not what people wanted, like in that niche. But busy moms trust this space. They trust that I'm not going to make them, you know, a totally jacked bodybuilder. A part of what ended up making me fall into that niche was that like, my presence was able to attract it a lot better than the the types of people I wanted to work with, if that makes sense. Sometimes you have a niche in mind and then you do the advertising, you do the content and you get a completely different niche. In a way, the market tends to dictate who you should best serve. How did you discover the uh, the busy mom uh, niche? And when they decided that uh, targeting male professionals is not working, I'm just going to double down on the busy moms. So a lot of my clients that came with me online, you know, after I was at like powerhouse and all that stuff, were busy moms, <laughs> right? So when it was time to post testimonies and success stories, those were all the success stories I had. I have one, well, I guess I have three males that I have that I consider as a success story. And they were basically like divorced dads, right? So what ended up happening, I'm posting all these testimonies and next thing you know, it's like everyone that every everyone's mom 
wanted to like look like the moms I was producing. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I basically fell into the busy mom. Was just like I just have a lot of testimonies helping busy moms, and not a lot helping busy male professionals. Right. So that was just how it happened. <laughs> I have a career coaching, right? And just the way the market dictates itself to me, I mainly, I would say I mainly work with women, like a good percentage. I would say like 65, 70% are women and 30% men. Um, I assume that women might prefer a career coach that serves women. Cause I, I know like there are female career coaches that highlight that they are, that they mainly focus on women, right? So I was kind of shocked that uh, my target market is mainly women too. Depending on how you get yourself out there, uh, sometimes the market that you thought you wouldn't ever serve ended up winding your services anyway. Yeah. I feel like your content strategy also has like a huge role to play in that as well. Because just from like looking at like male influencers versus like female, like male, like business people versus female business people. And of course I'm generalizing, right? Because I know a lot of like female business owners that do what I like the exact opposite, right? Is generally men focus more on the lot and like we're just like logic, right? Like, hey, like this is how much protein you should eat, that the you know, that kind of stuff, right? While a lot of like female fitness influencers focus more on the emotion, right? Of like, hey, like if you're feeling sad, like this, 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 and that. So what it could end up being is my since I'm so logic based, I'm just about teaching people stuff. I think that for, you know, in the long term, when it nurtures people, like people are like, hey, like as cool as it is to like work with someone, you know, like a female coach, right? I want someone that really knows their stuff, right? That like out, and I'm not saying the female coach doesn't know their stuff. I'm saying like the content I put out establishes that I know my stuff, as opposed to some of these other content people where it's like emotions. Hey, like I used to be fat as well, right? Like you can do it too. Like here's, me being sad and upset. Here's how I had my success story. Well, I'm sitting here like, you know, here's how to get protein and like, you know, tryptophan produced by carbohydrates. I'm like, just putting out like information that's logic and knowledge based rather than emotion based to basically influence viewers. As you know, as a business owner, there is a tough grind. How long did you have to grind before you saw a turning point in your business where it started to become profitable? I'm still grinding right now. Like my business is only making, like I'm getting, I'm starting to like see traction, but my business isn't making to the point where I can just like not work anymore or, you know, not grind. It's making just enough to basically pay the bills and allow me to invest in it more. Right. So it allows me to break even and continue investing into more ads, more classes, more all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so it's not like I'm making like ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars a month like some business owners, right? I'm making enough that I can actually like not worry about whether the business is gonna float or sink. Okay, so right. to add to that question, like when you start seeing traction, it, so obviously the I'm assuming the first couple of months was very challenging because you're starting from zero. Maybe you got a few sales here and there, but what was the, like the traction turning point where you say, okay, I see that there is a potential in this business. I'm going to keep going now. It was when my Facebook group, like basically, it went from like 40 people to uh, like almost, we're almost at 200 in less than a in less than a month. Right. And like this, these, this like organic growth wasn't even me reaching out and like talking to people anymore. It was just people in the group inviting their friends. So what that meant to me was that people were actually seeing my stuff as valuable and wanting to use, you know, even to show their friends to like give them free resources. 
right? And that's when like it started to pick up. On top of that, like the amount of con, like learning to like tailor my content more because you know when you initially start, you kind of just post things haphazardly, right? You just post like, okay, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a reel today and I'll make a reel tomorrow, or I might do one every other day and stuff like that, just random stuff. Um, what I've started to do was understanding better about copywriting, call to action, headlines, and creating a campaign rather than just an individual ad set, right? Or an individual reel. So I started creating campaigns instead of individual like content. Oh, like um, a series, like a series. Yeah, right? And that way, now people are getting engaged in my stuff, right? So for example, like I create like a three, like I'm, a, I'm I create like a three-part training series where I go live on Facebook every single day. So everyone that said they were interested in the in the uh, in the training, well, the moment I post a video, I'd reach out to them. Right? I wouldn't even say anything. I'd just like, "Hey, I got this video. Here's part two. Let me know what you think." And then basically every single time I post a video, eventually I would lead to like, "Hey, I, I'm able to help you. This is my full time job. Um, if you're interested, you know, leave a like or stuff like that." Right? And then from there, I can start. Now I have all these clients that I've given free stuff over and over again. I gave them a free PDF when they joined. I gave them a second free PDF when they joined. I kept, I gave, I made free training for them, one, two, and three. And then now I'm asking, hey, would you be interested in hopping on a call? And if they say no, it's totally fine. I do it again, right? I just keep giving them more and more free because law of reciprocity states that eventually they'll want to give back. I'm pretty sure you you know Gary Vee, right? Like one of his yeah. uh, famous books is uh, I think right hook, right hook, uh, jab or jab. No, no, no. It's the other way around. It's uh, jab, 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 right hook, right? So it's, the jab is the give, and then the hook is the ask. So you give enough, and then you go for the ask. You build enough rapport with the person that, again, the law of reciprocity. They are willing to at least hop on the phone call with you to learn more about what you uh, can offer them. Yeah. Going back to uh, the initial uh, conversation about one of the challenges that you had was obviously getting leads uh, to build your business. The other aspect that you shared was you were shocked that you weren't getting this initial support that you thought you get from your uh, friends and family. So walk us through more of that in terms of the challenges that way where you told your family, hey, I'm going to quit and start my business or even your friends say, hey, I'm going to start this venture. Like, What was the response? And how shocked were you when it came to like them being a bit negative um, or not as supportive as you thought they would be? Yeah. Um, of course, when you start... You know, you, you grew up, especially, I mean, I'm fortunate to have a very supportive family in a sense uh, when I'm talking about like from obviously me being a kid all the, until I was like an adult. I was fortunate to have a family that we didn't have anything crazy. We weren't like multimillionaires, but we had enough that we could, that my parents could sign me up for Taekwondo classes or piano lessons or stuff like that. Right. And what you end up realizing at some point is that. People become upset when you are becoming a version of you that they don't want you to be. They want you to be the version of you that they want you to be, right? So, of course, I mean, I under, I'm sure you understand being like an Asian. Are you an Asian American? I'm just, no, I'm Asian Canadian, but same thing. <laughs> like, I'm sure you understand the Asian Canadian, right? Your parents always wanted you to be a doctor, a lawyer, like all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. The stereotypical thing, yeah. Um, the stereotypical like Asian stuff, right? Yeah. So, and they basically gave you all the support you needed from like childhood until you were an adult in order to achieve that, right? So that either because they truly think that like that's the answer or for them uh, for, to give them an opportunity to brag to their friends that they are, that the kid's doctor or lawyer, right? 
fortunately, I have the parents that just want me to succeed. So when I decide, hey, I'm going to personal training, immediately I'm just met with like by my own family by like, hey, that doesn't make any money. Like I hear you only make like $20 an hour. This person did this and they flunked out within the first da da da. You know, you have a political science degree and like ten, uh, eight years at the time or nine, seven years at the time as an intel analyst for the army, right? Why don't you go do this instead and make six figures, right? And I was like, and to this day, I'm still faced with that, right? My parents don't really understand what I do, nor are they really necessarily interested to understand. You think, um, like I said before, you're... So, of course, it starts with your parents, then it goes down to your friends. Like, the your friends, same exact thing. Like, they want you to be the person that they, they knew you were growing up, right? You know, so what ends up happening is they'll say those whisper sweet nothings in your ear, but when it comes down to like, hey, can I get some support? I'm not asking you to pay for the product, right? I'm just asking, like, do you know anybody that would be interested? Like, nothing. Like, right? Um, and that's for your family, too. So, and then finally, you go down to the random strangers you meet on Facebook or the streets and all that kind of stuff who actually invested into your program. They're so quick. If I ask them, like, hey, do you know anyone that would be interested? You know, it's either an honest no or like, hey, I have this person. You should check. You should, you know, reach out to them. I'll give you permission, right? So, the, ironically, the hierarchy of people that support you from is, like, the least supportive is the people closest to you and the most supportive is the people furthest away from you is what I've learned in business. And that is a challenge because at the end of the day, it's like I have, you know, 500 friends on Facebook and I've texted every single one of them, right? Like went through like, hey, I'm running this thing. I really appreciate if you, um, you know, followed my page or did this and that, right? Just like either ghosted or just not interested. These are like 500 friends I grew up my entire life with, right? You ask your parents like, hey, like, I know you're 40 and fit. My dad, my parents are 50 and 60 years old. I know they have 50 and 60 year old friends that are out of shape because I see them. Hey, would you be willing to recommend me to any of them? Right? Nothing. I've received a lot of referrals from my clients that I met on the streets, in essence, and I haven't received a single client from my own family. Right? And I've received a handful from my friends. That's, that's a challenge to face because it's like, you say you want to support me, right? You say you want to see me succeed. Why aren't you being my biggest advocate? Right. I'm not asking. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, I have transformation. I have transformation pictures of my own mom. Right. I helped her lose 20 pounds before my little brother's wedding. Clear evidence and proof. She hasn't sent me a single client. And I know she has a lot of 40, 50 year old mom friends. So, yeah. Yeah. It's challenging. Yeah. Like, I definitely um, resonate with that. Right. Um, like, I've been doing my career coaching business for a few years and I've only had one client, one paid client that's a, uh, a friend, well, he was a former coworker of mine. Uh, so like one out of like at least a few hundred. And then in terms of like other former coworkers, I think they've given me, they've given me professionals, but they all just want the free advice. So does that any help to me either, right? So I definitely understand where you're coming from. It's kind of, the strangers are the ones that are going to help you the most compared to people that know you for a long time. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a culture shock, right? Because you think, yeah, so, but to the same capacity, right? Like at the end of the day, I think in business in general, you should have no expectations of other people, right? Like you, in business, you are giving for the sake of giving. Like if you're in business to make money, then you will never make money, right? Like, because you'll always want more, you'll never make enough. But if you're in the business of helping people, right, your intent should be helping people. So you should be giving as much as you can without expectation of anything coming back in return, 
right? And when you are and when you are honest and earnest like that, one, it builds better rapport with the people around you. But two, rapport and trust. But three, it actually leads to people wanting to work with you because you're just you're not here to take their money, right? I mean, obviously you have to you have to you have to put food on the table and pay your bills, right? You're here, but at the end of the day, you're here to help them, and that's the most important thing to focus on. So, yeah. How about uh, on Lily's side? Did, did she get not get any uh, support on her side as well, or was it a bit different on her perspective? It's it's about the same. <laughs> Right? I think she gets a little bit more support, but it's not like, you know, massive, right? It's not like, it's it's still the same. Like her parents are still very, are very supportive of her relative to mine, right? Her friends are a little less supportive and then random, and then, you know, random strangers. But it's pretty much the same. It's not like we've gotten any clients from her, her friends and family either. So it's a common theme, like whenever you start a business, don't expect uh, your friends or family to really help uh, jumpstart your business. No, yeah, absolutely not. Like you should just go into it with you are at nothing and no one's here to rescue you. <laughs> right? So Yeah, for sure. And just going back to the the money thing, right? Like some of the top entrepreneurs uh that you're probably well aware of, like they didn't get into business to make money. They got into business to solve a problem. And if you're solving a problem, you're serving people. And then over time you'll get that money anyway, because you are providing a service that solves a problem that they want someone to solve. Yeah. I mean Alex Formosi is probably like the biggest guy I listen to and follow to uh, follow. You know, I have all of his books like just laid out on my shelf over here. I read it regularly. And, you know, that's where I just learned like one volume of work, right? Like that's, that's the hard part for a lot of like new business owners. It's not realizing how much volume of work you have to do, right? It's not about like, you know, some people think it's enough to just post every single, you know, post once, a, you know, three times a week or post once a day, right? But if you can like 10 times the amount of volume of work you're putting in, right, you will get, you know, exponentially more results, obviously. And then after that, it's just providing a lot, you know, a lot of free value. Like the things you're giving away for free have to be just as good as the stuff they are paying for, right? Yeah, this, yeah the um, saying is like, uh, your, your free stuff has to be so good. It has to be so much better than people's paid stuff is what Alex Ramosi says, I think. Yeah, so... Um, and I just kind of follow that mindset of just lots of volume and providing lots of support, right? Just like as much as I can possibly. And that's basically what my workload looks like. It's just finding more what ironically, the least amount of work is my clients, right? And I'm sure you know, you know that as well, being in business, like you create a program for your clients, you talk to them every week or every other week, and then it's on to the next one until you're done with your clients. And then after that, you have so much time where it's like, what do I do now? And so your clients are the least amount. That's why I didn't even bring up like, you know, your product. If you're that good, your product will be solid, right? Of course, to, you know, tweak and tune your product as you go, which, you know, I do. But marketing is hands down the most difficult aspect of business. Sales is, depending on who you are, at the end of the day, you could be a salesperson. And if you get 200 people on a call with you, you'll sell somebody. So marketing is like where all your time should be like spent focusing on learning how to do better and how to do more consistent is what like I've noticed. Um, and it just so happens marketing is providing free value. So. Yeah. And like Alex and Rosie, like his first books, a uh, hundred million dollar offers. 
And that was like one of my biggest lessons. It's not really about your brand or your credibility. It's how good your offer is. Because it's one of those things like if my offer is not good, it doesn't matter like how credible I am. Like if they're not buying the offer, then it's just not going to work. So you need a good offer uh, supported with, as you said, good marketing. We've talked a lot in terms of um, the main two challenges that you've faced, which is generating leads and then realizing that you're not going to get the f- support from your family and friends as much as you like. But for your over the course of this year in business, what were some of the big wins that you had slash learning lessons that you could share with uh, my audience uh, today? Big wins is it's more it's I I, I don't know if I can't constitute a, a lot of like big wins like we're just. We're just or learn our big learning lesson. If it's yeah, if learning, it's big lessons, learning lesson, yeah. Learning lessons is that's where like I felt like my first year of business, right? Just like a lot of frustration at what I am not good at and trying to figure out how to stay, right? Just like I mean, I'm sure you understand, and most people understand when they working their first business. It's like you realize how incompetent you are, right? And from there, and that's where like I was majority of the year, right? Is if I wasn't getting leads fast enough, it was immediately down to like, hey, I got to research how to get more leads. I have to figure out how to do better copy, da, 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 whatever, right? Same thing. It's like if I wasn't sell, selling well enough, it was like time to learn sales, right? If my product wasn't great, time to like build more product. I think the biggest wins for me, or not the biggest wins, like the biggest like lessons I learned is one, how to like become more confident on video. I think a lot of people get afraid to like, you know, hop on a podcast or hop on video or record themselves because they're afraid of how they look or how people are going to think of you. And I have to overcome that because at the end of the day, it's like, I, when you look at the fitness space, what do you see? Like a lot of jacked dudes and like really like attractive girls. Right. And then there's like, I'm not scrawny. Right. But I'm also not like six foot tall. So at the end of the day, it's, it's overcoming my own mental barrier of, and building the confidence to actually put my face on camera and like let people know that I am here to help them and I do know what I'm talking. So that was like I guess the biggest win because now it's like I just turn on the camera and I just start, right? Yeah. I just yeah. Start, I, I'm starting a YouTube channel actually. Like I posted my first thing today. Right. I created a YouTube channel because I wanted to like be on more media, right? So definitely overcoming my insecurity of popping on camera and I even like going live. So I go live like three times a week now, right? And I remember the first time I went live, I started, I immediately messed up. I went, turned it off, quickly tried to delete it off of my Facebook and delete it off my stories that no one saw how embarrassing I was. And then I'm like the fifth live in now and I feel so much more confident. And I guess that just all comes together. Like the you become more confident at doing the things that you are uncomfortable with consistently. Right. And I think that's the biggest lesson lesson I learned is just overcoming my ego and my insecurity and just doing the things that I have to do consistently to build the confidence that's going to, to allow me to learn greater skill sets, get more reach out to more people and get more clients. And yeah, like I didn't realize that for like probably six months into the business. So I was just so in my own head. I agree with you on the video. Like, I, I hated doing video. I I, I started doing uh, LinkedIn content, like writing, uh, because I just didn't want to go on video. And then my podcast, I started audio only because I didn't want to be on video. So I kept on dodging the video until I knew I, I can't do it no more, right? Because video is the fastest way to build credibility compared to text and audio from what a lot of uh, leaders are saying. Yeah, so just overcoming that insecurity. Like, it's just really important. At the end of the day, you have to be willing to do the things you're uncomfortable with. I always tell this, to my partner and like everyone else, the business doesn't give a f- what your feelings are. They don't, it doesn't care. 
He doesn't care if you're feeling sad one day, you're not feeling pretty, or you're feeling whatever, right? The, the business doesn't care. The business will flunk if you care. So at the end of the day, it's just like, no matter how scary something is, if you know what's the right thing you have to do in order to move forward, then like get over yourself and just do it. Even Kevin Leary says like, like money won't cry for you, right? So like you got to take the emotion out of it and do what's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate your time, uh, Benjamin, for coming on my podcast to share your story. I'd like to end off with where do you see yourself in the next year? Uh, you've done one year in business. Where do you see yourself in January 2024? Uh, what are some of your goals uh, that you would like to share with uh, my audience? Well, we are opening our own physical studio in February, only because like we know we can grow business a lot faster in person because I've done it before. <laughs> So I'm, we're really excited to open our own physical. So it's in Boulder, Colorado, our new physical studio. And it's just focused on group training while incorporating the mindset coaching into it. Um, so that's like the, the biggest thing we see ourselves going into. And then after that is, you know, I want to start my own, like I started my own YouTube channel. So now I'm going to provide longer form content that's informational to people. I want to start my own podcast as well, where, you know, we already have a name for it um, called To Be Developed, TBD. And basically, it's just talking about the boundaries we faced as people, both in business or private life relationships and how we overcame it or how we're trying to. Um, and we're just, you know, doing this to hopefully get help people that can relate to just two dudes just trying to live their life. How can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? One, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. My name is Ben Hong. On Instagram, I'm benj.hong. We also have our website, empoweredxcoaching.com. And yeah, those are our primary. Of course, we're on TikTok as well. And now YouTube, you can find me on YouTube at empoweredxfitness. But there's only one. There's only one thing on there, so don't don't get your hopes up when you go there right now. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, next year's plan for sure. Uh, again, th thanks so much, Ben, and uh, I hope you have a great end of the year. And looking to see your story next year and how you're gonna keep continue growing your business. Awesome, thank you. It was great having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Oh,